This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here, and welcome to another episode of the Alpaca Tribe podcast, the podcast for alpaca people everywhere. And you do get around. I'm so grateful to the people who subscribe and follow the podcast from so many different places all around the world. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Do you think we can ever really understand our alpacas? I like to think so, and certainly I'm hopeful we can get better at it. Did you enjoy the two episodes with Marty McGee-Bennett of Camelid Dynamics? Oh, it was so helpful and definitely inspiring. We can always do better. We know that. Marty helps with some of the how to do better. And I love that some of the understandings spill over into other areas of our lives, such as with our spouses and dogs. Cats remain a mystery. You think you know them, and then... Well, alpacas are like that too. I had a moment with one of my alpacas yesterday when I was feeding them. I don't know what the trigger was, and I don't know who it was, but as I was putting the food out, I suddenly got blindsided. Literally. Big spit, side on, so it went underneath my glasses and into my eye. Thank you very much. They were all a bit twitchy and spitty. I'd been supervising matings earlier in the day, and maybe it was a hangover from that. Anyway, someone was upset with someone, and my fault or not, I got the eyeful. I have had an earful before, when bending over in a catch pen to vaccinate a career. The mum I was watching and controlling, but the other female to my side took exception and dumped a mouthful of green gunk in my ear as she tried to protect the career from whatever terrible thing she thought I was doing. The matings have been progressing quite well. But there are some unexpected behaviours. Waiting in the stable, some sit down, like they're ready for their turn, only to disappoint the male and spit very clearly. Seanid was clearly not interested, and as I tried to feed her back into the stable and safety from Howell's amorous intentions, she got a bit panicky, and because I closed the hurdle to keep him in, in the catch pen, she bolted past the gap and ran off up to the gate. Let me out of here. It was the same with Olwyn which is Millie's two-year-old daughter, who you'd expect to have some attitude. So it was more of a run-off than a spit-off in this occasion. Nearly done, we will finish off the spit tests next week, and then they either are or are not pregnant. You can't check with the abdominal ultrasound until they're about two months pregnant, by which time the window for mating will have closed too late in the year. But at least we'll know for sure, probably, though they do sometimes lose the pregnancy and we can miss it. We've rested some of our older females this year and retired one for sure, Hermione, our delightful old girl, who was part of our original foundation herd of five pregnant females. This year's career was a female who we will be hanging on to, Gwentlian. This will mean we can continue the bloodline. She's got some nice-looking fleece at the moment, although maybe it's still slightly too early to tell. And thinking of career fleece, well, I've noticed... The Creer are being more adventurous and getting into where dead brambles. I'm assuming there's something live there as well that they're eating, but they're getting the dead brambles all tangled in their lovely fleece. And some of it is seriously tangled. Soft and fine. 
It's a magnet for vegetation. I try to live by two valley rules. Always carry a camera, easier now because we've got camera in the phone, and also a pair of gloves. You never know when you're going to need them. For some brambles, you're only going to be able to remove them if you can get the animals into a small space. Midfield, dragging a long branch of bramble around, it's almost impossible. Work them down to smaller areas until you can take hold of them to disentangle the bramble safely, particularly with the career. Be gentle and slow enough. Remember, they're not used to being manhandled. Autumn seems to have made a significant appearance. Leaves floating in the breeze. Temperature dipping, especially at night. So do keep a check on how well all your animals are, especially the young ones and the older ones. If need be, we might have to think about coats. It's a bit early in the year for that, but later we might have to put coats on some of the more compromised ones. As they get older, the fleece just doesn't grow as long and they can end up not quite protected enough from the bad weather. So along with the season change, it's a useful time of year for a review of health issues. Vaccinations, checking feet and toenails, eyes and teeth, and worming. When I spoke with Tanya Russell recently about three episodes back, we also talked about what she's been doing about worming for herself. Here she is. You've been doing some experimenting, Mark, experimenting. You've been doing some work with with faecal testing. I have. um, I'm really lucky because my sister is a vet, uh, so it was easier to learn how to do it. She she came up um, and I bought a microscope and all, all the stuff I need. Just because I, I think, you know, when you have a certain number of animals, I, I want to test as often as I can. I think also I do do some things that I know is generally recommended not to do. Like people, and I'm so impressed, people go out and poo pick every day off their fields. But I have, you know, I have 40 acres with 20 animals and I have huge fields on hillsides with massively long grass and trees everywhere. And we tried, we did buy a poo hoover and we tried to hoover and it just, it was just not going to happen. It's wet all the time here and the grass was so long and it was just, it was pretty much a disaster. So I thought what I would do is just rotate really often and then obviously the fecal testing was going to be incredibly important just to monitor it. Um, And I wanted complete control over that and to be able to do it as often as I wanted. So I did, I set myself up and I was fascinated anyway by, by the whole process. Um, I learned how to do it and there's a great forum, animal, um, people microbiology, I think, uh, a Facebook group as well. So yeah, and then I did my first tests and now I do do them. Um, obviously I do everybody at least every couple of months. And if anyone I'm even slightly worried about, I can do them immediately. And just looking um, and finding is obviously it's, it's, it's a really interesting dilemma because you kind of really don't want to find anything, but you kind of really do as well. Otherwise, it gets really boring. <laughs> yes. um, oh, so I, I found a really nice mix of things. So I, and also, you kind of want to find the odd egg occasionally so you know that you're doing it correctly and your solution is is hasn't gone off or anything and everything's... Perfect. But yeah, it's actually relatively easy if you follow the steps and there's loads of information out there. Um, there's lots on the, the Royal Veterinary College website as well. Um, so yeah, w- once you know what you're doing, it, it's a great thing to do. And it definitely does save money and it, 
it means you just know that your animals are, are fine. And for so far, not, I mean, I do poo pick up. Obviously, we've got a couple of small fields close to the house that I use for the, the birthing um, or if I'm worried about them at all. So I obviously do pick up in those fields. But so far, um, everything else has been fine. And I, sorry, actually, the other reason I wanted to to test is obviously I now have rescue goats and pigs and rescue turkeys and that as well so and obviously particularly with the the goats are, are quite parasite heavy and i can't keep them in any fields they jump over everything so they have free range of the farm they spend most of their time in the front yard because they're goats even though they've got 40 acres and huge amounts of trees to roam all they eat is everything in front of the house um, but because they're obviously mixing broadly obviously i wanted to check that they weren't affecting but actually, my alpaca, the testing has been going really well. I've had one animal who had quite a high dose of, well, I say high, it's actually slightly below what people recommend treating for. But because it's the highest I've had, I probably will treat her. <laughs> um, just so, you know, I, I don't want it to creep up. But so everyone else is pretty much zero. And there were a couple, it's funny, the younger ones have different parasite burdens to the older ones. And you kind of got to get to know your animals and their age and their, I mean, none of them are thin. But obviously, if, if anyone's got a slightly high burden, I will keep a really eye, close eye on their weight and their eye membranes and all of that works together. And that's fascinating, just kind of looking at the their whole health holistically and the way they're behaving as well as the parasite burden and then working out when to treat or when not to treat. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, I've, I've loved love doing that and obviously the, the big advantage then is you're, you're treating animals that need to be treated rather than just giving them the, so you're not building resistance uh it, along the way absolutely and that absolutely and that's another massively important thing and i and i hated that obviously all the vets now are very conscious of that but bizarrely a lot of the farmers who you know obviously they they love their animals and treat them really well but sometimes they they seem like 20 30 years out of date um, the sort of local local farmers with the sheep and that kind of thing and they, they haven't even necessarily heard about resistance um, and the issues about it so around here we certainly do have resistance obviously to ivermectin some of the fluke drugs triclobenzone and that kind of thing and that there is only one drug to treat all stages of fluke so it is so in our interest to yeah, not add to the generally growing resistance that is going on. No, you're absolutely and obviously right. You've, you've done the training and, and uh, or, or got the equipment and, and been helped to, to do your own. Um, I know some vets do offer that service for more for sheep, um, but but some have got the ability to do it for alpacas as well. It's a slightly different test. So you do need to check that it's that they're going to be using the right test to, 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 to find the, the things. And then there are other places that you can send off samples and and they'll process the, the, the or do, do the test and send the, the results back to you so all of that costs a, a bit of money but then you'd be paying the money for the worming and you might be developing resistance if you just keep throwing the chemicals at the you know the, the, the medication at, at the animals so it's it seems like the best way to go sometimes you can't do it in which case at least they need to be be wormed but um it's uh, yeah interesting mm. No, absolutely. And if I was worried about an animal, I would always send a sample off anyway. You know, if I was seriously worried or I was constantly getting a high burden or 
they looked ill and I wasn't finding eggs, I would send a sample off to someone who's obviously a lot more experienced than I am. Um, I have done that recently, actually, with two, obviously, Claire, the UK king lid vet. <laughs> um, just because I've got a thin animal who constantly has to eat. I've actually, no one says that it's a thing, but the only thing I can find is that she gets diarrhea when she eats a lot of wet grass. And it, it just happens. I've tried everything else. I've tried food. She has been fecal tested so many times and there is zero. Um, and she's absolutely fine when it's dry. As soon as it's wet and she goes outside and eats a lot of wet grass, she gets... Well, that's your observation. It's, that's what it is. And, and it, it, it's the full explanation, who knows? But it, it's you can see a cause and effect. Um, then, then, But I'm not sure <laughs> you could do much about it. I know. Let's stop the rain in Wales. That sounds like a good idea. Great, that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tanya, for sharing that with us. It's been really helpful. And it may have inspired some people to think of doing their own testing as well. The equipment you need, etc., you can find out online. There are also some vet practices who are able to do the tests for you. Just make sure that they're doing the appropriate test for camelids, for alpacas. As Claire Whitehead identifies on her website, ukalpacavet.com, Link will be in the show notes. Generally, camelids are a lot more susceptible to parasite problems than other species and may be clinically affected at lower levels of infestation. The modified Stoll's test is a lot more sensitive than a standard McMaster's test or passive float. The modified Stoll's test is also the test most recommended by camelid vets all over the world. So you just need to check that a vet's practice are able to do the modified Stoll's test or to send it off to a different lab to get that test done. Thanks for being here for this episode, and we hope to see you again soon. And if you'd like to send me a message, you can do the usual by email or using the voice message button on the website. Take care. This is the Alpaca Tribe, and I'm Steve Hetherington. Have a great day.